Highly motivating, very ambitious, and there's always a very special energy around Maddie. So uh, this is something I've been looking forward to do with Matthew for a very long time, and um, I'm very excited to have you. Welcome, Matthew. Thanks for having me, Danny boy. Hopefully, I uh, don't let down that introduction, mate. That's a big <laughs> one, buddy. From, from what I know about you, Matthew, that's almost impossible. Let's see. Yeah. Only time will tell. But um, do you want to say anything before I dive in, baby? Well, I wanted to, because this is my first time meeting you, um, and obviously I've you know just heard you guys talking and stuff, but I wanted to get an idea of who Matthew Firth was before he became a trainer at Vision. Yeah, right. How deep are we going here? How long do we have? <laughs> as as deep as you want. <laughs> Which period of my life do you want? I've lived about uh, six different decades in free, so we can go wherever you need to go. That's, that's a pretty interesting place to start, man. <laughs> Pick the middle decade then. Oh, uh, man, yeah. Look, uh, obviously we'll probably end up back at Vision, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. You know, um, We obviously have a lot in common and probably a lot to talk about there. But, yeah, um, man, far out. Let's talk. So... How did I end up there? That's the question. Well, you know what? Uh, training was, it's funny, so what, uh, as Danny said, so I'm open, I own two different studios, hopefully more over the next year. You know, the goal is to have five within the next five years. So um, hopefully that happens, but I actually never trained in my life till I was like 21, right? So it's interesting that I ended up being successful or finding all my success from um, training mm -hmm. when I never really even trained. Till I was that age, you know, yeah. 20, 21. So, um, obviously, yeah, there's, there's that to get to that point, uh, there's a lot happened uh, in between. So, I, yeah, I, look, I just grew up a normal kid, um, grew up in actually a, up until 10 in a no, normal house, loving parents. Uh, I didn't miss out on anything that you guys probably missed out on yeah. too. And yeah, along the way, there's just a lot of, uh, a lot of road bumps uh, along the way. So, a lot of, um, a lot of different things have shaped me to get to where I am today. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've, I've, I've lived a few different lives, like like I said, so yeah, where we got, where do you want to so go? So what was your life? Let's go. Were you like a hitman? <laughs> <laughs> like... Uh, hold on, hold on. You can get a lawyer. How many lawyers are going <laughs> to... <laughs> how about we go, because I only know of you, Matthew, like I've, I love hearing you talk, by the way. Yeah. I, I do find you very motivating. So... I only know of you when you first came into Vision. Mm. So let's go maybe four years before you joined Vision. Who were you then and how did you come into Vision from that point? Yeah, so like, um, you know, as you know, Danny, you've seen me talk at Visions. Um, quite a few Visions have had me out to speak. Um, people call it an inspiring story. For me, mm -hmm. it's like, it's just lessons mm -hmm. on lessons for me and I'm just sharing every step of the way. So pretty much, um, yeah, I grew up... Uh, in my teens, I started to get caught up with uh, the wrong people. And this is the crazy thing about, you know, when I went to Vision, like they talk about circle of influence in, and how mm. that can affect someone's weight gain or weight loss or journey. And I, I truly believe in it because, mm -hmm. man, my life has been determined by circle of influence, yeah. right? So um, in like year eight, year nine, I started getting caught up with all the wrong people. Um, started getting into, I started to get into some little street gangs and then it evolved. I started to meet some heavier people uh, and then I started to meet some really bad people and mm -hmm. along the way you just get more caught up with who you're surrounded by. So 
you're living this, suddenly you've gone from being this uh, normal kid in a, in a normal house playing sport on the weekend uh, to f- fast forward five years and I'm deep in a gang. I'm yeah. fighting, oh. I'm wow. fighting, you know, I'm fighting every weekend. I'm, I'm involved in drugs. Um, life's just completely out of control. I'm racking up charges mm. with the police and, and you don't know how that happens, but now I can sit back and reflect and, and you do know how that happens. Yeah. Because from me meeting this one, I met this one guy who started getting me into it from the start. Before I knew it, I knew a few more. Before mm-hmm. I knew it, mm-hmm. I'm in a little gang. Before I knew it, I'm now not living at my house anymore. You know, I'm seeing my mom. I'm coming home once every couple of weeks when I run out of money and I need something from my parents. I'm putting them through hell. And you start to realize, well, now I can look back at it now and I can talk freely about it now. Yeah. For many years, I couldn't really talk about this mm. stuff because I felt like... I hadn't earned the right to talk about this because I hadn't become a good person yet. You know, so even when I started at Vision and I started changing people's lives and helping them lose weight, I felt like I couldn't go back and, and talk about this stuff that I've been through mm-hmm. because I didn't feel like I was at a point where I'd done enough to warrant talking about it yet. So, yeah, um, yeah it was crazy shit. So, like, from that, right, like just before we get into the deeper stuff and yeah. all the crazy stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> so, in terms of like those steps, so can you see, can you go back and see a lot clearer now, like three or four key steps where you're like, that got into that path now? Can you see it? man. Yeah. I could probably, I could probably name it off the bat, you know, like the first step was just the mini stuff. So when I met, when I first met um, this guy that he, he came to our school and um, he just, he was, one day he was drawing in his book, he was doing graffiti in his book and I was just intrigued by it. And I thought, you know, what's that? What's mm-hmm. this guy doing? So he started telling me all about the graffiti and, and that was like the stepping stone of where it all came from. So I started running around with this dude doing graffiti. I would have been 15 years old, um, maybe 14 even. We started, you know, I'd take the bike out after dark. My parents would be calling me, where are you? Come home. I'm riding around with this guy just running amok being kids. But what I kind of didn't realize was that was a major stepping stone mm-hmm. because that was my first step of breaking the law. Yeah. And it, mm-hmm. and it didn't feel like I was doing anything bad, mm-hmm. you know? I was mm-hmm. just, I was, surat- I was around this guy and he'd been getting in trouble for a couple of years. Very so right. we thought we were just kids running a mark. Mm-hmm. But then, so that's a first major step. But what probably the second step that leads from that is like, I didn't realize that that little graffiti thing led me into this whole subculture of, of gangs in Sydney. Mm-hmm. So I started to, re- I think about me is I get addicted to things really quickly. So it's like how I got addicted to vision and changing people's lives. Like I got addicted to that feeling so quickly that I did with this too. So he, that introduced me to this whole next level of criminals. Mm-hmm. So I remember I went out and had my first fight with a guy, you know, and I was like, <laughs> what was that like? Man, it was like, I is it just been, like adrenaline? Yeah, it was, just, yeah, it was, adri- it was, yeah. I would have been, so I got caught up with this mini. Wait, wait, before you get into that fight, had you been in fights before that? Man, never, so I couldn't even throw, as I really? said, yeah, so I wasn't brought up like around, I'd never been in a boxing so, gym or. Like when you were at school and stuff, you never got into a fight no, over I, handball lines or someone. I'd never had a you? fight at school, man. Really? I so in school, I was a happy-go-lucky guy, mm. like I was just a class clown. I was a class clown. Wow. Yeah, so things changed me you know i started getting around these people and the way they talk the way they carry themselves the things they were doing it just made me you know it made me want to be like them mm. more so when it was my first time the fight and that or well, i actually didn't i had these skills that i never knew I had so yeah. I, didn't do, I didn't do too bad i'm definitely not a, uh, a ufc fighter yeah. but 
I still remember my first um, first fight. I would have been sixteen, and we had drama. We had a little bit of running with these other young teenagers, and they were getting on the back in the day. You'd get on the phone, fifty one ten or whatever, talking it all up on the phone, and then. <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. So we went down. We met up with these guys, and then boom! I had my I had my first fight, and that was it. And I was like, Fuck, I got this adrenaline rush from it. I was, I was right. I was just going into the next. So that was probably my mm. next step. You know, a couple of years later, of running around with this kid, and then what did that lead to? Like, I started to get a bit of a name within this little subculture. Mm. You know, and then it just led to me getting deeper in it. Then right. it became uh, crazy. Like, uh, man, some of the stuff I've seen in my life is just like you couldn't imagine that I've mm. seen it you know and it leads to uh, some other mate I think the third step of it all would have probably been when um, the first time that when I got stabbed so I punt oh, yeah wow. yeah so I, not, a mean scar man yeah so you can see I see, the I see all, so all their shirtless photos on Instagram <laughs> so there's a scar oh my there God. Wow. Yeah, so that was probably a huge point in my in that life too. Like it had just got so out of hand by this point that I was now in some really heavy stuff. And yeah, was that a turning point for you? Was that when you were like, "All right, this is enough," or or did it take a bit longer? Nah. So look, I was in intensive care for nearly three weeks. Wow. Yeah, I was dead. I was dead. So you can see how long the scar yeah. is down my stomach. So I had two punctured lungs. Um, and I was so I was bleeding out on the um, so it happened out the front of a house party um, and all I remember was it was crazy so we had a group of people around us and it was like it was a big house party there would have been mm. about 30 40 girls 20 guys watching on I was having a fight with this guy and the next thing I knew I just couldn't I couldn't keep my hands up anymore and I was looking around and there was all these little fights going on around mm. me and I just remember seeing this group of girls and they were and they were screaming, like screaming, bawling their eyes out. And I'm going, what the hell? Like I just, I couldn't, I can't describe the feelings mm. here. Like I couldn't, you probably never, I couldn't physically get my hands up anymore. So I knew something was wrong with me, but I, obviously I didn't know. I'd you been, didn't know what it was. I didn't know a 30 centimeter knife had just oh, gone through my Jesus. lung, right? So I looked down to, when I noticed these girls um, screaming at the same time, one of my mates grabbed me. And he just goes, you're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. And I said, Holy what? I looked down and I'd had a yellow jacket and jeans on and the whole side of my body was just red. So this all happened so fast, by the way. Um, my friend grabs me. He starts walking with me. We would have walked two driveways and I just lift my shirt off. And by this point, I'm starting to struggle with my breathing. So oh, I'm, no. it's almost like, you know, when someone's holding your head under the water, you can't yeah. breathe. You're like... So you're coughing, coughing, and then my mate starts like tearing up, like, you're not going to die, you're not going to die. And, and then it got to the point where the blood started coming out of my mouth, and I was just, and that's when you start coughing it up, and I was, and that's when I passed out. And yeah, I woke up probably the next day, 24 hours later, I uh, had major surgery, I was in major surgery, they, that's why I got that massive scar down my front where they cut me open mm. to drain all the blood out and then get you stitched back up. So yeah, it was crazy. And then I was on tubes. So I got, you can't see it, but I had another tube. So that's where I had another, that's where yeah, the stab, so you can see the stab was yeah. there. That's where I had a tube in me that was keeping me going for a couple of weeks. So yeah, it was just, it was crazy, right? So that was it. So Jake, yeah, if you're asking, that was the crazy part about that story is like, so that happened to me and and when I seen how much hurt I'd been putting people through, like my family mm. came visit at the hospital nearly every day and 
and you start to realize, hang on, I've put my parents through shit for mm-hmm. five years. Mm-hmm. You realize that, and it comes. You got a lot of time to think when you sit in that hospital bed, and um, and yeah, I was I was really I was disappointed in who I become, and I didn't know how it had happened. I was laying in that bed going like, how am I here? Like I was yeah. a normal kid four years ago yeah. from my normal family. Mm-hmm. And it just spiraled out of control. So in my mind, I was like, nah, I need to change. But the only problem with this whole story is that because I got up to so much crime and fighting and all that, I was actually going to court for a, a pretty serious afraid charge that I got. So I'd been in a big fight um, at a house party about a year before that had been going through court. So I knew that I was probably going to get locked up for that mm. that fight. So in my mind, it was like, hang on, I need to really change who I am. This is not mm-hmm. this is not the way I want to live. But I knew that I was going to get locked up for about a year when I right. went to court in six weeks. So they pushed the court uh, the court date back for um, while I recovered because I still had I had mm. fifty six staples down my front holding that together. And then so they said the doctors agreed that when they had 26, they took out half of them. So I had 26 and that's when I was able to go to court. So I went to court that day, six weeks later, and they locked me up that day for a year. So I still actually, so I wanted to change. I was going through this process Mm -hmm. where mentally I was like, I don't want to be that guy anymore, but I kind of had to go back to being that guy because yeah. I was just about to go to one of the worst places for the yeah. next year. You had to do the punishment, right? Yeah, man. I yeah. Had to, and I deserved it. I you think know? it was part of the process of learning and healing, man. Yeah. Bro, it was the best, I tell you right now. Like, at the time, you know, you think that that's the worst thing. I want to mm. change. But the reality is, how would I have changed if I didn't go there? Yeah. How would I? Exactly. I wouldn't yeah. have because you come back to the circle of influence. I yeah. would have just not gone to, I would have got let off. I would have got a suspended sentence or mm-hmm. something that kept me in the community. Mm-hmm. Where would I have gone right back to? Mm-hmm. I would have just circle of influence. Those guys would have got on the phone. They would have said, let's hang out. Let's hang out. <laughs> Within three weeks, I would have been back to being who I am. Yeah. But they sent me away and man, I was, and that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. It changed my life. Well, I can, Denny knows this, so I don't mind, <laughs> yeah. but I can relate as well. Not not to that degree. I haven't been in my gang or anything like that. My story is not as, not as um, colorful, but um, yeah, like I have been in the wrong crowd before. I'm from Jamaica. Yeah. I've seen the... Yeah, I'm hearing. Uh. Um, so yeah, I've, I've, I've been around really bad people as well. But for me, in, in my teens, it was alcohol. I fell into this really bad time, a re- really bad relationship with alcohol. And the first thing that happened to me, which was like my first wake up call was ending up in hospital. Not life or death or anything, but alcohol I just ba- alcohol poisoning, exactly. And I thought at the time, I was like, same thing like you, like look at how much hurt, my parents are so sad, whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, my parents were like, that's it. You're never going out again. And, you know, two months later, there I was back out on the road. <laughs> and the the thing that led me, I, you know, it got worse. Then I got arrested for go. a DUI, you know. And then I got put into one of the worst jails that you could possibly go to in Kingston, Jamaica. Oh. Do you know what I mean? And that was for me when I went in there and I was in a cell with six other women who were... <laughs> actually like you know real yeah, criminals real criminals <laughs> you know i was in a cell with a girl who had just killed her stepfather with a staple gun because this man was coming home and raping yeah, her yeah. raping her sister every night so that for me was the biggest wake up call and that's when 
pretty much from there on. But just as you're saying, you kind of needed to go to that next level and, you know, get almost punished. For sure. For you to really, like, change, you know? What I'm interested in hearing from, from both of you, but I'll, I'll go to Maddie first. You've, since, you know, you know, you had relationships then, since then, and you've obviously now become a father. If you were to put yourself back in those shoes as a parent, how would you feel as a parent at that time? Do you oh, think, like, what's, what would that have felt like for your parents? Yeah, horrible. When you're a kid, you just don't see it. Mm. Like, you know, I didn't see the hurt that I was causing people around. You're not emotionally intelligent enough mm. yet to get that. I was kid still a kid. Out, I was a kid, you yeah. know? I look back and I think, I always think now, what if some days I'd just be looking at my daughter and I think, man, what do I do if you you are like, like obviously we're... Yeah, so, you know, I doubt. Yeah, we're, yeah. you know, you're, and that's the thing. You're gonna love them no matter yeah. what. When yeah. you get a child, you just feel like, you know, the craziest part. Where we keep going with this story later, you know, like, you, you don't ever think that you, you're like. I can't imagine the hurt that I put them through. You know, mm. and you don't at the time when you're doing it. You, and they'll always say to you, like, I remember when it first started. Like, you just I go home. You know, when I was still 15, getting picked up for graffiti or doing silly stuff. Like when I was really young. I remember the first time my dad came and got me. He never came and got me again after that. You know, he came down the first time, picked me up from the local police station. And I remember him saying, you know, you got to get your, sh- your life together. What are, you, what are you doing? Da, 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 da. And it just meant, it meant nothing to me. It didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't feel anything when he was saying it because I just lack, you're just a kid. You lack the emotional intelligence. All you want to do is go and do again what made you feel good at the time. And that was getting in trouble. You know, so I don't know. So the question, the answer to that question is, all I could do is try and be as much a part of her life as possible. Because I probably didn't, I never had a real close relationship with my parents, you know. Mm-hmm. They're my parents, but we never had that close yeah. bond. Like some of my friends had, now they, they go through a bit, her, me and my dad, we never had that relationship, you know. Me and my mum was like, a boy and a mum's a bit different, I think, too, because... Mm-hmm. You don't, you're not going to talk to your... Yeah, like you're still going to be a man. Yeah, like yeah. you still got to be a man. And when, like, I guess it's not there fully with your dad, that mateship, we never really had that mateship. So I was kind of like, I was looking elsewhere for validation and you, I found it in the gang, you, you know? Do you think part of the attraction of gangs for men, right? I was actually saying this to Jade, is that in a, in a lot of cultures, there seems to be a path to becoming a man. Yeah. Like you go hunting or you go jump off some crazy piece of building or shit, something like that. And that signifies your step into a man. I know for me, as a like, I never went anywhere near the kind of stuff that you went through. But I was saying to Jay, literally last night we had this convo. I remember like owning a studio, like I was like nineteen or twenty at the time, <laughs> and I still felt like a kid, man. Like I'd go to these conferences and I'd be hanging around these people, and I felt like a, a child in that room. I found it really hard to actually become uh, a man. Like I, I wasn't sure when I became a man. You know? Do you think part of the attraction of going to a gang was that you felt like you were becoming a man, is that was that part of the attraction at the time? Hundred percent, man. Like, and as I said mm-hmm. to you on the as a as my life spiraled more and more out of control, it's because I was just getting more notoriety. How do you say that word? Notoriety. 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 You know, you were getting. I was getting more. People were start just like you do in these businesses. Yeah. Like when you're doing good, people want to be around you more. They want to call you more for yeah. questions. They exactly. want to talk to you. It's the same thing as when I was doing that. Like the more, mm. the more fights I got in, the more things I went through, the more, the more I was accepted. Mm. I was accepted by the wrong people. But to me at that time, as a 17, 18 year old boy, it meant the world to yeah. me. Like yeah. it's like, wow, people know who I am. People are recognizing me. I can't slow down. Just like we do in these yeah. businesses. But like You're so powerful, man. That's the thing. Like you do have this 
energy that attracts a lot of people, man. So whatever you chose to do, if you did, if he if he did chose to be a gang leader, you'd be a fucking good gang leader, man. <laughs> but when you think about it now, your teams, your teams are a good version of a gang. Yeah, yeah. they're pretty much right. right. They are. My like, I bet you see them as your soldiers. Yeah, uh, my team are led like many like, and it's so crazy. Like I think about it, and like my clients, they would like I love my clients so much, and my team like, and I love that business so much that. I treat it like that, you know? Mm. I treat it like I would have when I was 17. Like, if my mate was going to have a fight with someone, I'll be in there before he was. And it's the same as in the business. Like, if my trainer has got a problem, like, I'm fighting it with them before they've even gone through it. Or my client needs something done, like, we're doing it. Like, and I'm with you the whole way. Like, I'm going through this the same as you. So, it's a good observation, Danny, because that's how I'm running my studios. Like, I'm running it like I was back then, just with, I'm all or nothing for you. If you're riding with me, like my clients that are good to me, like when they need saying I'm, I'm there, like mm-hmm. I'm with you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like saying bad happens to you, we'll sort it out. We'll find a way to make it work. And it's just the same thing as, as back then. It's just I was so blessed to find like this, as I said in that thing, like vision became my new gang, you know? Yeah. Like it's, I got that whole, fa- it's like a li- we got a little mini family going on, you know? Like it's crazy. Like it brings me so much, it's still so much... It's family. I'm there with yeah. my family every day, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, it's a very good observation because I feel that, hundred mm. percent. So, you're in jail. Yeah. You end up in a vision studio. How? <laughs> <laughs> oh and man! If anyone does want to be a trainer at Vision, you don't have to go to jail, <laughs> and yeah. you don't have to be stabbed to be a successful vision owner. This is just yeah. one way to do that. Okay. Yeah, I'm a pretty unique case. <laughs> You Man. know what though? Have you heard Dean's story? Hey, Dean's yeah. Very so Dean, right? I heard yeah. Dean's one when it were, when he did the uh, talk. Like it would have been like 2011 yeah. PT. So just for those that don't know who we are, Dean's just a friend of ours in the same industry, who has a very challenging background and have, has probably become a very similar version of you. You're a different version of Dana, but you have that. You know, your team is your army sort of thing, you know? Yeah, nah, yeah. definitely. I remember hearing Dean's one, man, and that was pretty crazy. Mm. That, that actually gave me so much belief because at that time, Dean was, I was just come, I think I just started at Vision. would have been like mid-2011. And this was when he was, I think he was still even at the, uh, Bella, the first Bella Vista. Bella Vista. Yeah, the first version, yeah. Yeah, the very first version. And he was, um, I remember him talking, he was doing like 56, 57 hours a week. He was talking about how he was going to buy his business. Yeah, he was doing crazy hours. And I remember him talking like, he's talking like, I do 57 hours and I go to their house, have lunch with them. <laughs> do you remember that when yeah. he was talking about that? Mate, he's like you. He knows uh, how to, he, he, he builds relationships just like you did, man. Whether it's with a gang or whether it's with legitimate <laughs> people of society, you guys have an energy that, that, that draw these people in, you know? Yeah, nah. I, I mean, but hearing that, like that gave me a lot of self-belief because as I said to you, like it's taken me a long time to talk about this like mm. to go to these studios and talk about this because before i can talk about this and have this open conversation with you we got to have an end point the end point of the story needs to yeah. be me changing mm. lives mm. yeah if i'm just telling this story and i've not done all this good work with my mm. trainers and with my clients and help these people change their lives mm. then all that what i've just said mean really means nothing yeah you know i had to prove to myself that i've legitimately changed so mm. obviously coming to vision was a major part of mm. me changing my life but then when I heard just because then he brought up Dean um, I think when I heard him talk I, that was kind of like 
hang on, I know I'm changing myself, but I've got to prove this to people. I've got to prove it to my parents. I've got to prove it to people that believe in me, family, that I am changing. I'm just listening to this guy talk. I can be like that guy in, um, in four or five years. Like I can do that same thing, and I think that will validate me sharing this story mm. and talking about where I am today. And it did, you know? So, yeah, um, yeah we went off a bit off track there. That's but, my uh, fault. Uh, <laughs> so we were just talking about how you eventually went from getting stabbed into prison, into vision. Yeah, man. So it's crazy. So as I said to you, I never lifted a weight in my life, right? Yeah. So you look at me now, like I'm, I'm sitting here in front of you. I'm sitting here 88 kilos, right? Training every day. I'm going on 33 next week. I'm still training with my young guys. I'm still lifting heavy. I'm, I'm, I don't look like I did back then. When I went in, I was actually 69 kilos, right? Oh. So I was, because I'd just come out of hospital. Oh, yeah. So not that I'd ever had any muscle. I used to be skinny arms, skinny legs with a gut. Always been pretty tall. Um, so I went into there, like 26 stables in my belly, fresh out of ICU, um, weighing like a wet rag with some I fat around so many my... questions I want to ask. <laughs> <laughs> And they all revolve around sex. So. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't getting that much in my life back then, you know? Um, so, yeah, I was I was going in there like a really... And I don't know... Well, so in Australian jails, like, it's funny, Australians really have no pull in Australian jails. When I first got it, and I kind of knew that because I knew a bit about it from who mm-hmm. I'd been hanging around. I knew a yeah, lot of people. Yeah. I was pretty lucky. I actually went... I had a few known a few people when I went in, which made my experience probably a lot easier than it is for some people going mm-hmm. in. Because it's, it's, it's ugly. It's not nice. But definitely having known a couple of people made my journey a hell of a lot easier. Because mm. some people have some real real bad experiences. So, But all I can tell you is that I remember the first time I walked in into the yard at Silverwater. And it's Whoa, called Dude's Lock. Yeah, Darcy won. So it was pretty... Cr- so I'd already been sentenced. So a lot of... When you're into Silverwater initially, you're usually there on remand waiting. You've committed a serious crime and you're waiting. You're there while you're on... Instead of getting bail, you're, you're on remand in the jail, right? So your trial could be three years away. Right. You're, right. you're in there the whole time, right? So it's pretty heavy dudes in there. So I walk in and you just see the yard straight away. You got your islanders all together. You got your lebos. You got your aboriginals. You got your Asians. And then you got your Aussies like scattered between them, right? We're in Australia and Australia has no 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 pull in there. So I was pretty lucky. So my the one of the boys that I gone in with. Um, he was actually at the time when I, we're getting off, well, we'll get off a bit off track again, but because I'm on a roll here, but uh, <laughs> so at the time, you probably remember these Macquarie Field riots were happening, that was going off mm, down there, yeah. a kid who got killed in a police chase, yeah. and all the kids were out riding on the um, on the street and going crazy, so a guy I knew from that time was going in at the same, so we were actually in the holding cells together from Campbelltown, and we'd known each other for a bit. So we went in uh, together. So that made my... And he a lot of his mates had already gone in for the Macquarie Fields rights. So right. we kind of... He led me the whole way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? His boys were... I could just fit right in with them. Mm-hmm. He vouched for me off the bat. So that made my journey in very, very, very easy. Okay. All right? Which yeah. would have been a lot harder for other people, you know? Mm-hmm. A lot of other people will have to go through the motions of being stood over for their food getting their shoes taken off them, getting jumped, you know, like this crazy stuff happening daily in there. And um, I never had to go through that. So I was pretty lucky in that in that way. Um, but at the same time, so I went through that journey and I knew that I, I had to start lifting weights. So I'm walking, looking around the yard and everyone's buff, man. I'm, this sk- I'm 20 years old, post-ICU surgery, skinny. Like I'm looking like a wet paper bag. Like honestly, that's what I look like. I look like crap. 
And um, I just realized that, hey, man, i got to train. If I'm going to survive in here, like, s- soon enough, this guy's vouching is not going to stand. And I need to look the part, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I first, so I got over to, I got moved to, I was in Silverwater two weeks. So I got moved to John Maroney, right? So John Maroney was a young offenders jail. Um, was everyone was under 25, but it was actually crazier than Silverwater because imagine putting a bunch of young 25-year-olds in one yard. <laughs> Everyone wants to be the top dog. Oh, yeah. So that's where the dramas were more. You know, there was a lot more dramas over there. But anyway, back to the training. We had a shit. So we all had cells. We call them one-out cells. So that's your own cell. You're not sharing it with someone, right? So you had your shower in your cell. Mm-hmm. Off my shower, I had not a... Bad. Yeah, it was, it was good. It was much better than silver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was luxurious. So we had our own... The, we had a steel shower in our cells and the bar was really strong. So... That's where you do your chin-ups overnight. Mm. So I remember, like, I'm looking at some of the boys in the yard. They're doing 20, 30, 20, 30 sets, chin-ups, right? I'm thinking, fuck, I can't <laughs> even do five push-ups, right? Yeah. I'm struggling, right? So I remember, I'm like, the boys would always talk about, would you train last night? And you sell, you know, just be your normal routine. This is the gel routine. Yeah. Dips, chin-ups, push-ups, <laughs> right? That's what you're doing. Slow the tempo, fasten it up, do some claps, whatever. I can't even do one chin-up, right? But this is how my mind works. Like, this is how determined I can be. So I remember my first night in there, I was like, because I talked to my mate, he told me about training, da, da, da. So he's like, do 10 chin-ups, do 10 sets of chin-ups tonight. I'm like, all right, let's smash it out. Yeah. So I go to, I couldn't pull my body up. I could not get my body up to this bar. And my mindset was just like, no, by the time I leave this cell, I'm going to be able to do 10 mm. chin-ups. And every night they were horrible. Like if you had a camera, I'd give you like it was like my body was twisting this way, that way, just, just doing do what I could to get it up, you know. And I just said, hey, doing these push-ups, doing whatever. And you know what? I started to see my body change after six months. I started like I started seeing biceps. I started seeing chest. And man, I can't explain to you the feeling like. I probably not. I probably not had a feeling like it. Like I still remember that you talk about those moments. Mm. I still remember the day I looked in the mirror, and I seen a bit of chest, and I was like, what? "You like what you see? Love it! <laughs> <laughs> Love it! Wow! Right? Yeah, yeah." So then I got up to. Um, I got moved up to Oberon, coming to the end of my sentence. Oberon's like a prison camp. So it's this Victoria, is where, yeah. Uh, no, no, no. It's um, well, between Lithgow. Yeah, it's yeah. like halfway between Lithgow and Bathurst, yeah. like in the middle of nowhere. So. They take you up there and you go there and that's where you see the end of your sentence out. All the young offenders, they put you in an intake and they take you out on a camp and you got a job every day and it's very like, you live in a house so with 10 other inmates um, and it was good. I, I liked it up there because I knew I was coming to the end of my sentence too. I was four months off getting out and they had a gym up there, like a, a good gym that you could easily get because this is out of the way the way gym works in jail. Pretty much the top dog always has it. Right. And you just wait, right? Yeah. Yeah. So up there, but it was a way bigger gym. So it was way easier to get on equipment, right? Mm. So I could actually start going to the gym. So I'm, I met one of my mates and he said to me, mate, be my training partner. I was like, all right, sweet. I remember the first time I got on a bench press in the gym. So I've been doing push-ups for six months, mm. right? Got on a bench press. Like the pump that I got and the feeling, I was like... <laughs> You're hooked. I was hooked. Wow. 100%. I've been hooked on things in my life, and this was one of the truest addictions I could feel. Wow. What, what was it that fuck, that fucking hooked you like? Man, that? just Explain him that. screaming at me, like yeah. pushing those last few reps out, like. And I remember growing up, like growing up around those people, like they'd have benches in their backyard. Like we'd be living in this, yeah. we'd be hanging out in this housing commission unit, 
and someone mm. would have a bench press and I'd never jump on it. Like yeah. I'd rather be in the kitchen drinking, yeah. telling stories. Mm. But now I'm, I've started to train. I'm six months building muscle. I get on this bench press finally, which I've seen people do for ages. <laughs> I was actually waiting to get on it from Windsor and I'll never remember. He's yelling at me the last few reps and I'm just squeezing him out. And it just was a feeling that I could never, I could yeah. probably never get that feeling again. The feeling that I got from that. And I was addicted. I was 100% addicted to the gym. So he actually told me, the same guy told me about personal training. So he's like, what are you doing when you get out? Like, that's what everyone talks yeah. about in there. They're, most 80% of them are coming back within a year. 10% are coming back within two. And then 10% will never come back. I, yeah. I reckon that's same. They told us the statistics yeah. up there. But anyway, I filled into the good 10% in the end. But um, he told me about personal training um, when we are in. And I was like... You're fucking, he's talking shit like someone pays you to train someone like I couldn't get my head around it like mm. I, I couldn't get how you know you wouldn't just train yourself because I was so addicted to it right and anyway so I came home I had I owed so much money in fines so I had to first my first goal was to pay off <laughs> my $40,000 pretty much in fines to the state lawyer fees um, right. all that thing right I had a lot going on uh, that I needed to do and I, in my head I knew that I had to get through all that to to be able to move on with my next chapter. So I came home, I got my forklift ticket in jail. So I've got this forklift license, right? I came home, I, I told my mum and dad, like, I'm getting a job, I'm getting my shit together, this is it, I'm changing my life, you know? So I went and got this job, and this is what I love sharing with my trainers, like, whenever times are tough or whatever, I'm like, because some of them have never felt real pain, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the reality, like, some of the kids, and don't get me wrong, they're workhorses, some of these kids, mm -hmm. they've, they've come straight to PT. Yeah. But I took this job for 17 bucks an hour on a high reach forklift in a freezer. I used to go in this freezer for sometimes an hour at a time. I come out, my eyebrows were frozen. Oh my, my snot had frozen on my nose. I'm not kidding, right? It was a shit job. A mm. shit job. And I did that job. For two years, I did that job. Going to the gym. I was going to the gym every day looking at the personal trainers. And I tell oh. myself every day, the minute that that fine's paid off, and I have the money in my bank account to be able to go and pay for this course up front, I'm doing it. Mm. So I still, you've heard my story. So I remember that day I got the exact amount of money I needed. I got five grand. That's what I needed for the AIF. It would have been, I would have been doing that job for two years, two and a half years. Mm -hmm. Never. And I got something in me. So I was working with a lot of like people that were just not motivated. Mm. They're standard factory workers yeah. out West. Mm. Like they don't have goals. They don't have anything in life. Mm. So all they do is they come to work, smoke ciggies, whinge about their job hate their job and I'm there like just trying to get out of this like yeah. I'm 22 or 22 or turn on 23 at this point and I'm just imagining a better life for me mm. and I'm going in this freezer every day putting my gloves on telling me I'm not gonna live like a bum like I don't want to be mm. a bum for the rest of my life but I'm gonna do it for now there's something to having a shit job right yeah. like I know for you and I know for myself I had heaps of shit jobs before right? yeah yeah I worked in like a shitty course and I was doing charity work um, I also worked. Car I did, salesman. I did use car salesman. <laughs> yeah. I did, um, business I worked, admin. I worked as a bouncer. I did business admin for four days. Never went back. And also worked like you did, man. I worked at uh, you know the loading docks at Santine Enfield. Yes. I did that unloading and loading semi trailers. Been around those kind of people that you're talking about. And you felt it, right? Yeah. Just of that negative you do. energy. Yeah. I fucking hated that and job. And it rubs off on you, but... You know what I used to do? I hated that job that much, right? But I wanted, I needed money. I used to go sit in the men's toilets. And the men's toilets, guys, like... If, <laughs> if you can imagine the worst oh. smell... And I, I worked as a plumber with my uncle as well. So I was used to the smell of sewage. 
I used to sit in those toilets for 40 minutes just because I didn't want to go back outside and have to do that fucking shit job. It stunk, man. Going outside was a relief, but I couldn't stand going back outside. So I get that part about you, right? So that's awesome because now we, you know, this is a part of the story where people can start connecting. Yeah. You know, because you've you've been through that. Yeah. You've, you were off too, you know, when you've done something you don't. I don't think I've had that shit of a job. Babe, you were a struggling uni student with no money, eating jars Well, and I've worked, yeah, <laughs> but I haven't, yeah, but I haven't had like shit jobs. I've had to work, you know, two yeah. jobs and going to uni you're, full you're time. You're educated, but... we're not. <laughs> <laughs> when you're dumb and not educated, this is for Charlotte yeah. one day to listen to. If you don't do well at school, Charlotte, yes. you get a shit job and you fucking hate it. Yeah. Okay, and then you become like You'll me. You'll be sitting dad. in the smelly toilet. You'll be sitting in the smelly toilet. Toilet with all the island are shitty uh, yeah. and not giving a fuck about it. Exactly. <laughs> hey, but I wanted, to, I wanted to touch on something that I've never really pulled, that I've, I've never really clicked onto you with you before. It's about your determination. Yeah. Um, I tend to have pretty good instincts about most people, right? I always knew you were a nice person, but I remember when you bought your first business and it was a bit of a, a basket case of a, of a business, mm. as, as you're aware. And I, Mike, I had a question for you, like, how did you survive, right? And you can tell me about that. But I think from listening to you speak, one of the biggest traits that you have in your arsenal, which you do have quite a lot of traits, that determination is so strong, mm. man. Yeah. Where does that fire come from? Bro, I think, you know what it is? It's, I'm so, I hate losing so badly. Mm. Mm. Bro, I'm so competitive. competitive. I'm, I'm the, ask anyone that knows me. I, I can't, yeah, I love it. It's a great trait. <laughs> You'd find something in you, people like that. I don't know how I don't know how to lose, and when I do lose, I get very angry. Mm. So that's where it comes from. It's just an attitude of I need to win. So a big thing for me about you know when I bought just so to let everyone know like so when I bought my business, I bought an underperforming vision with the goal to turn it around. Um, so I guess we're very underperforming. About, yeah, it was tough. Um, so I guess where that comes from is, and some people don't buy into these, but I just do like so the PaySmart rankings. I'm very. Uh, I really care how people, I hate losing, and I, the thing about me is I care what people think about me, or the way people mm. perceive me is pretty big for me. Like some people can shrug it off and they're mm. not, but I'll openly say that I want people to, to respect me and I want to show that I, I can win, you know? So when I bought that business, imagine I'm seeing like my name down the bottom, like, all right, it was I was coming from the top, so I helped one of the studios I was at Clarence Street and we were at that time, we were a top 10 studio. So I'm going from being a top 10 and thinking of myself as a top 10 trainer, being in a top 10 business, to now I'm in the bottom 10 mm. out of 58 or 57 studios, right? So for me, that hurt my heart. Even though I just bought it and you can't grow a yeah. studio overnight, like something in my brain, it, ma it makes me mad that I'm like, fuck, I own this studio and my goal was to grow those rankings mm. every week. If I wasn't moving up them, then I would be burning at myself. I feel like I lost that week. Mm -hmm. So I came from that. And that's where all my hard work came from. Like when my hard work in that factory came from, I was determined to never lose like the people I was surrounded by. You know, I didn't look down on them, but for me, it's like every day I, I didn't want to look like, I didn't want to be like you. I didn't want to think that's my life. Like you're, in my eyes, like you're losing. Like you're wasting all your money on, you're getting paid seven, you're, 40 years old, you're getting paid 700 bucks a week spending your money on Siggy's and the Munch truck that comes. <laughs> like, what's, what's the Munch uh, You don't truck? want to know the Munch truck, man. <laughs> it's a, like it's an like, ice cream like, truck? No, it's like a brand. 
and it's these little tiki tacky trucks and they got snacks in them. It's yeah. called Meat pies, hot dogs, yeah. all oh, this, okay, you know, gotcha, like, gotcha. so it came from that and it all came from when I was younger, like I talked about, like, mm. I didn't go into that, when I started hanging around those worst people, like, I never wanted to just be a little shit kicker of that group, I wanted mm. to be the top dog in there, I wanted to be the one people looked for when we had to go, you know, so it's always been in my blood to like, to outwork someone till I win, you know, mm. like. And if I lose, then I get angry and come so back again. So looking back at that time when you went into the studio, because you're someone who has is currently producing a lot of really highly talented and motivated people mm-hmm. who want to progress their careers, who want to be fucking top dog, just mm-hmm. like you, right? Would you say when you went into your first studio, do you think you're ready for that challenge at that point? Or, right. would, or <laughs> looking back, would you say to yourself now, like you've got your own trainers, right, and you advise them, would you look back and if you were Maddie now, with young Maddie then... Would you say, hey man, just sit here for another six months, bro? Yeah. <laughs> what, what would you say? Yeah. Um, like you said before about being judge of character, you can't, can kind of judge when someone's ready. Like, but when you get someone like me, like I'm at that point with a couple of trainers now, like I think that you got to vary it between who you're talking to. So like mm-hmm. at that point, I'm that guy, I don't know if you can tell now, but when I make a decision in my head, like I'm doing it mm-hmm. and, and you're not going to stop me no matter what. And I'm kind of in that position with a trainer now, like, He's doing it no matter what. So I either miss the boat and miss out on his talent and everything I've developed, or I say, you probably should wait six months, but I know you're not going to wait, so I'm just going to jump on the horse with you. Mm. You know, that, that's the that's kind of where I would be at with trainers now. Like, you've got to be able to read where their heads are at. If you can hold them and you think that it's going to take another 12 months and they're on board with that, then, yeah, wait. But if you can see that they're not and you do believe they can do the job... Mm. Bro, I'm not gonna. I didn't just put four and a half years into yeah. miss out on being part of the success with you. Yeah. As someone that's done that, I I had some really great trainers that were with us for five years. I was very distracted. I had my own businesses that I was dealing with, and I had these two amazing people that I had spent so much time developing, and I didn't have the foresight of experience and time that you have now to see that. And man, that was a huge mistake. Not only because the loss of relationship that you develop with these people and the work that you put into them, but then when you start thinking of the more significant side effects of loss of resources, loss of income, the, value. the impact that it has on your existing business as well, yeah. um, I think you're on the right track with that, man. Like, well, you, can only, you can only say no to someone for so long, you know? 100%, man. That's yeah. it. And that's what you realize. Like, I went through that experience, like, you know, I. I couldn't, I, no one was going to stop me, even though no matter what, like my boss at the time was like, yeah, wait, you know, you've got this still to learn, da, 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 da. But in my eye, it, I already decided I was ready, you know, mm-hmm. in my, you couldn't stop me. I was already doing everything. I was doing ICs in that business. ICs, conversions, so sales, yeah. I was signing people up. I was doing, uh, I was, I never was a big PT. I'm not going to sit here and say I was freaking top doctor. I never did. I was always about leverage. So I do Monday, Tuesday at Vision because I was working in the CBD. So I don't know if this is yeah. half the story. I used to catch a, used to be an hour and a half one way trip to work for me. Wow. Yeah. So three hour trip round. We never had, now we got Danny will tell you, we've got all these laws in place where trainers are completely looked after. They can't have split shifts. When I started at Vision, I remember it was an hour and a half trip in. I have a half an hour client at six. Another one at 7.30, one at 12.30 in the day, and one at 6.30 yeah. at night. That's and nice. you only get paid for the hours That's you work. Right. Yeah. So I'd get two hours work, I'd be there for 15 hours, or 14 hours, and then do three hours traveling. But you know what, I never, it never hurt me because I loved that job so much. I loved 
being a part of that that community and it never it never felt like work it never felt like um anything you know really? so never not once bro for me for me working at vision i used to work at carrying bar so that was under under simo and stuff i couldn't wait to get the fuck out yeah fuck. i just i just wanted to move on and and do so you, my own thing but that is because so at the time he was there you got to tell a part about but everyone was buying studios back ah, then. it was definitely like, it was definitely very competitive and it was also like a, a race, but I I didn't enjoy it because I I like I, I felt very limited in that. I knew like this is this was only a very short time in my life, and I was done with it. I was ready to do get the fuck out. You mean being a PT? Or? Being a PT under someone else in another business. Yeah, oh, okay, I needed gotcha. I needed to get out. Like nothing about me said I'm enjoying this. I'm loving this culture. For me, coming into the environment that I came into was all about the next step. And do you think but yeah. I think that Always. Was, did that come from but that was run like a like just a, a freaking crazy like 800 sessions or something. Yeah, no, no, was, it was a, it was a big business. The culture was great like it was a very competitive culture, but it was just me. Yeah. The reason I came into vision was to own a business. Yeah. That was my only thing that I came in yeah. for. Mm. And I think there's for anyone in their careers, it's probably you should probably question several times about your career if that's something you want to continue to do. Mm. Yeah. I questioned many times before I was actually got into my own studio. I was having a conversation with my girlfriend at the time. I was like, "I've got to quit. Like, this is not going to happen. I need to move on with this," because I was always about the next step at that time. Mm. Like, like I get very, I feel very mixed emotions about how much other people have enjoyed their time. And yeah. For me, it was just a stepping stone. Like, I just wanted to get in. And you get wanted to be the owner. Yeah, that's all I wanted. It's the only reason I came into yeah. it. Yeah. See, I'm the exact opposite. So I, I, envy, never, I envy that though, because yeah. you have so much enjoyment with it. And I, I never knew that. I was going to be an owner. Yeah. I had no idea I was ever yeah. going to be a franchise so owner. You, so you went in purely because you just you love being a PT, you love changing I, people's 100%. lives. And I remember, yeah. no, well, I didn't even know I enjoyed changing people's lives yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew that I wanted to be a PT. This is the crazy part, Jay. This is where it gets crazy, is that, and people will tell you this, a lot of PTs will tell you this. I became a PT because I fucking love training so much. Mm. Mm. Me too. Yeah. That's, right? that's the truth, yeah. right? That's how it starts. Yeah. That's how it starts. So I actually... Anything, you can make $100 an hour. <laughs> so you can kill it, right? That's where the story kind of goes too, yeah. but where we're going from this is that... So I went in... I actually got my cert. So I was living at the back of Liverpool and Cecil Hills. Um, so it's near... Wow, Liverpool that's far, area. man. Yeah, it's far. For Cecil Hills is M5... No, M5, M4, M7. M7. Yeah. yeah, so it's, it's far like out. seven tolls. Yeah, it's a long way. So I used to do a half an hour drive to Holsworthy Station and then catch the uh, East Hills line to the city because that was the fastest one. So it was about an hour and a half wow. to Wynyard from my house. Uh, it's pretty far away. So... Um, anyway, the, I got the um, I got these certs at Parramatta, and I and I was jumped on Facebook and I put up a status. Just got my certs. I'm over the moon. Da 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 da. Anyone got a job for me? So then I get a private message from um, a guy that used to play soccer with my younger brother. Hey, I've just become a manager at a studio at a vision studio. You should come in for an interview. Ah. I said, Where is it? He goes, Oh, in the CBD. I'm like, oh fuck. <laughs> He's a long way, but he was the first one that hit me back. This is like crazy moments in Such life. Such yeah. moments, right? Crazy. This is one of my biggest moments in my life that changed my... I'll never be who I am today if I hadn't mm. done this. So he hit me up first. And it's funny because a lot of people commented after, oh, I'm working here, I'm working here. But he was the first one. And that's my brand. I'm very loyal too. Mm. So like if someone hits... Like he's the first guy that hit me up, I'm going to that interview. Mm. Like I'm going to decide. But the whole... So I get in my car that day. I start the car. As I said, it's half an hour drive, right? The interview was on Friday. It was before their team training. So I left my house at like 10 a.m., right? The team training is at 1. We had our interview at 12.30. So I leave my house at 10. 
I'm getting stuck at the red light. Every red light, I swear to God, I say to myself, oh man, I should just turn around. Like, it's too far. It's too far. Like, I was telling myself it's too far. Mm. But that thing in me that I can't lose and I just need to see things through was like, just go, just go to the interview. Just keep pushing. So I pushed every red light. I swear to God, I was telling myself, just turn around. Like, you're going to, in the morning, imagine a long day. You're going to get stuck. I seen it through. I got to the station, jumped on the train. The train was 15 minutes late. So I said to myself, it's another sign. Like, why not just get back in your car, go home, fuck vision, fuck it, just go. Like, don't worry about it. Mm. Anyway, I couldn't do it. I stayed on the train. So I got on the train, got there. I actually got there 15 minutes early still for the interview. So then it was like a positive. I'm like, well, I got hell out of the lights. Yeah. Train was late. I'm still here early. The trip's not going to be that bad at five in the morning, yeah? So I walk in there, man, and it was cranking, yeah? There was like city times very busy in the day. So we're busy all day. We only did five days at that time, but everyone was back to back during mm-hmm. the day. So I walk in and <laughs> it's so funny. Like, so my boss, Elliot was training. He's not even come up to me. He's looking, he's doing back. He's training back. He's <laughs> like, he's quite muscular. yeah, he's a big boy at the time too. So he was just about to have his first kid. So he was recruiting lots of trainers because he was going to go and have his kid. So I come in, he keeps training while I'm standing there at the desk. I'm like, <laughs> What a hard ass, you know? I like that. Exactly. Yeah, I like that, you know? And he's training and there's all these sessions going on. A couple of trainers said hello. He finishes his workout, comes, talks to me, and we go and have this interview. And we sit down. I still for years never knew I was gonna be a business owner, but Elliot was actually only one year older than me, right? I've just I have just saved my last dollar to spend on doing this PT course, right? I've been living off nothing for the whole PT course. I think I left myself, because I've never been on the dole, never done none of that, right? Even through all the shit I was going through, I never have claimed benefits in my whole life, right? I was always a believer, I get my own money, right? So I've, I've saved, I'd saved, left myself of $800 while I did that nine week course, right? I was living off seriously like 80 bucks a week, living at home, right? So I'd spend my last dollar. So I think I borrowed money from my mum to catch the train to the, to the city to have this interview, right? And I remember meeting Elliot. He was one year older than me, right? I think I was 24 at the time, and he was 25. And the guy, man, he's just buying his first Ferrari, telling me about his house at Monterey. Uh, I'm just like, how are we the same age, nearly? Like, my brain was just not right, you know? And I obviously thought he had other things going on to achieve all that. And he's like, oh, I just own this one vision. I'm like, fuck. So all I have to do is get a vision, and I can live this, this lifestyle, you know? And it just was another one of those moments where I kind of realized like, this guy is, is one year older than me. How can he be here and how can I be here? And then he does the whole interview and you'll remember this Danny at the time. So back in those days, you had to pay $500 to be a mentee. So I've spent my last dollar. It gets to the end of the interview. He's like, yeah, mate. So to come on the mentee program, you'll pay $500 and that'll cover your training. For-. I'm like, bro, I don't even have a dollar. What do you want? So I call my mum. I'm like, mum, I need another 500 bucks. She's like, what do you need money for now? What? Yeah. I said, because... That was I, a tough phone call, man. Yeah, that was tough. Because she's like, in her mind, I'm still... Like, even though it's been two and a half years now since I've come out of jail, I've never been in trouble again yeah. since. Yeah. Um, I've got my life together. I'm going to the gym. I've got this PT cert. 
you can imagine I did six years of damage so you're not mm. just going to forgive me like that I'm still mm. as I said to you I'm only talking about out loud now about this because of all the lives mm. I've changed along the way at this point I was still not there I'd got my certs it was the most positive thing I've ever done in my mm. life right I've gone to get this great job but I still had to hit you up for another 500 bucks and Elliot was ruthless he's like yeah you need the 500 so I'm like alright I'm going to get it because I just wanted this job so bad like I was drawn to that I was just drawn to it the mm. minute I walked in there I knew that's the job that I wanted and then along the way, obviously I was working with Steve, who was my brother's mate. I met my best mate now, who's now my business partner. I still remember oh. his first interview, came a year after me. Like, And I built these connections. We just had a gun team there that was connected. And why wouldn't I want to go to work with now, who's Danny, who's still my best mate. Um, Steve, we had Andrew. Um, Mario was our manager. Like, It was just fun. It was fun to be there. So why would I want to do anything else? You know. Mm. But eventually what happened was that winning side of me came out and mm. it went hang on, I'm doing all this, working here. Now, I want to I wanna do that for myself. I want my own money. I want my own thing. The next that's level. Where, yeah, that's where that mentality, I started to wake up in the morning. And I was never not unhappy to wake up. That's the thing. But I used to go to work with a new new feeling. Like, mm. I don't, I don't want to do this for someone else forever. I want to make this my own mm. shit now. That's what I was trying to explain to you about my own experience. Yeah. And you, But you had that before yeah. you even... Sure. You knew yeah. that before I, you... After my first interview, I was like, let's just get this done. I know I've got to go through a process. Let's just fucking move on. <laughs> get me in my business. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you knew already, but... Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I, was, I was in. Where did that come from? Like, that's the thing. Where, how did you know? You're 20, 20 years well, old. When I was very, very young, I was very clear about what I wanted. I wanted to be... Before I turned 30, I wanted to be semi-retired and able to buy a Porsche. I didn't know how the fuck I was going to do it, but I knew that's what I wanted to be. Yeah. And I'd obviously experienced many things working that I didn't like. Yeah. And I thought, thought fuck, I've got to do this myself somehow. And Andrew presented, and I was like, that sounds like something I could do. I need a bit of help to get started. Let's do that. And so I bought him in. I was like, I want a vision shooter. That's the only reason I'm here. In my head. I never actually said that aloud. Yeah. I always said what you felt. Like, you want to help people. But yes, I love people, and I love what I do now. But my initial goal I, my initial goal wasn't mm. as organic and sometimes when I hear people talk I'm actually very envious yeah because it wasn't as organic for me it was always about the end point do you think if you'd been maybe in a different studio that you might have had that or it would, would not have come in wherever you were I think I was exactly where I was meant to be for sure so I bit, yeah. any, any other studio it wouldn't I, have. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have owned the studio by yeah now. you were just yeah. so convinced that yeah. you wanted the business I had Andrew there so I knew I knew I just had to impress him yeah and the reason why me and Elliot were so competitive, your ex-boss, was because we wanted to get the fuck out. I remember him so saying... So we are competitive with each other. We were doing 50, 55 hours each trying so to So he beat. tells the story yeah. about Danny, right? So mm. Elliot says that he took him... Is this a true story? Because Elliot's told no, no, the story. No, no, no. Story. <laughs> so Elliot wanted to... Elliot's very competitive too, yeah. right? Like, yeah. he's so competitive as well. Like, he's on another level of competitive. Mm. Like, some of the yeah. things I've seen him do to compete, like, yeah. it's just insane, right? So, um, he tells a story that you, so you and him will both want to buy a business, blah, blah, blah. And then you, you called him for dinner one day. You said, Elliot, let's have a dinner. So he went to dinner and you just leaned over and like, I got my studio and he was filthy. <laughs> I gotta be honest. I was so excited. For that dinner. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said that to Elliot. I think I've, I think I always made it very casual. Yeah. But... But that's where the business side of my brain comes out because I'm fucking competitive too, but in a very different way. Yeah, I gotta find the common. I, I need a common challenge. Yeah. So because mm-hmm. it was there, he was my challenge, and mm-hmm. it really. I'm not someone who's very. I'm motivated, but I love having a bit of external motivation. 
And so having Elliot there was what really pushed me out. Like one of the reasons to get the fuck out was we're about to change management in the in the studio. I didn't want to be managed by that fucking guy. Yeah. It wasn't Elliot, it was someone else. And it's like, I need to get the fuck out. How do I do this, you know? That moment when I could have that dinner and tell Elliot, Elliot officially, honestly, it felt so good, man. It felt so good. I was like, I got this motherfucker. Did he get you back? It's not poor Elliot. because It motivated him yeah, to go get it. He went. Went. Yeah, and Elliot drove each other. And Elliot now does... It does his passion, man. Like he restores Ferraris as a passion because of this business. And, yeah, he learned and the and leverage to do it. Into, yeah. you know? and but to, and to his credit, he did go out and do it. He well, how long was it? He not, went, long. not long. Yeah, long. he had it later. Like yeah. that burned him. That yeah. that got him going. That motivated him to go do it. But yeah, he. I think you're. He would have even taken longer if you hadn't bought that one, at Surrey Hills when you did. It would have taken him longer. You know, because it's just that drive, that human yeah. being, like. You got this little competition going on, and then someone beats you. It's like, and well, you're a competitive person. Especially when, when like the evolution of our business now. Now there's people like you, me, uh, Jesso's Dean who are competing for the most studios, right? Yeah. At that time, it was just opening a studio. Yeah. Because like within a period of a year, I think about twenty studios opened in one Two thousand eight. Oh yeah. I wanted to be studio number twenty one. I remember. Right. And I wasn't. And I was disappointed by that. Like that's how competitive it was. Like you wanted to, be, I wanted to be an X amount of shooter that opens. Yeah, you know. So it's, it's, it's very interesting how that sort of stuff feeds and, and feeds, feeds itself. And that's when it comes back to what you're talking about, circle of influence. Yeah. So, how did you buy a studio? Like, how did that process come about, man? So you, you had to borrow money to get into the studio. Yeah. So I met um, at the time. I came back from a holiday around Europe. And I ended up meeting um, the woman I marry, right? So um, we met and we just started, man, things just happened really, really fast, right? Like she she was um, she was best friends with uh, Elliot's sister and she was training in the studio. And we just started talking and like, I just don't know how things happen so fast. We shared our goals and it was just like, all right, let's do it. Let's go do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we went in and we got that cogro and we just freaking... Took a bonkers, man, because like at the end of the day, I always knew that I wanted to provide for, I always wanted a kid, like, mm. you know, I always wanted a little me. That was like <laughs> the plan from day one. So yeah, man, we just went out and we just got like, we got that. And then I, I went into that studio just driven. Like I can't, I'm, it was just every day I was in just grinding. Like I was honestly, people say here and, and a lot of people tell the truth, but I can look you in the eye. You can ask Danny, my old business partner. He was alongside, that's why I owe him everything because he was with me the whole way, right? Pretty much like the goal was when I, when I got out of the Clarence Street, I just had to make enough money for him to become my manager. So he could come right. to and I could bring it and then we would own our own business together. So I worked in that business for like four months. I got it up to the pay smart where I could afford to bring him in as a manager. Not that he was really a manager. None of us, we couldn't manage a, we couldn't manage. Chicken raffle. A do- yeah, not chicken raffle. We, we were not managers. We were just motivated PTs in our own yeah. business now. And that's who we were for I two. I, I think that was most of us for a long period definitely, of time. Definitely, man. Definitely. These guys that, own businesses now actually really smart yeah very good but that's the value that we add now you know that's the value when i go in with my guys and i offer 30 percent, is that that's what i'm going to bring to the table Mm. i'm never going to let you become who i was Mm. because it's not sustainable it has an effect on everything around you yeah it's also like the story behind the business and the 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 values and the like people value that still i think jade you're right because i think this danny is i use this as a where we're maybe not going to be able to say this in what they're like 
because we did it so well as business. Like Danny's just done that so well as a business owner. Mm-hmm. He because he under he's seen me and him make. He got to make all the mistakes in my business while mm-hmm. making it at the same time. That mm-hmm. he understood leverage. He understood how important recruitment was, getting the right mm-hmm. people and giving them the right jobs early, so you could leverage off. So he's never had to do those. That's a crazy story of Mordell. He's not been doing the fifteen hour mm-hmm. that in the on the marketing or not. Wow. Just so important with recruitment and marketing. You get that right early. And you're never going to be that guy that does 15-hour days because mm-hmm. you've run your business properly. But half of the story now is like when I talked to the team was because I've got a relatively new team. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not relatively new. They've all been My team's all been with me three years plus, but they never seen the 2014, 2015 days, which took the most toll on me mentally. Mm-hmm. I can say out loud, I did that shit. I was here 15 hours a day mm-hmm. for five days a week, 10 hours on a Saturday, like... You guys never seen that to get to where it is today, you know. So I think that what you just said there, it is a part of the story yeah, of the business. Exactly. You know. Do you ever reflect on that person? Like, do you ever think about who you are now, and do you ever think about that person and what that person actually was able to persevere through? Bro, I admire that person, bro. Like, mm-hmm. I don't. That's why, like, when we go to do these next business, like, hundred percent, I'll choose to work smarter over harder any day now because I know better. I'm more educated. I've been through more experiences so I, I know that that won't happen to me again but at the same time man i mean i miss that dude like bro he was just he, that guy just he didn't feel any pain it was just mm. like he, he just did it you know and that guy is he's i don't i don't know if that guy will ever come back just because of the level of education oh, you've, you've evolved man yeah and, and we all and we, i hope that everyone everyone should be if you're still doing that after six years that's when you start to reconsider your um what you're doing and if this is right for you but man I guess like uh, and I, I'm sure everyone would miss that person you know that person was a savage like because just no <laughs> you know three and a half four hour sleep was normal like yeah. uh, but didn't... the good thing about it as well like you know it's it's not about like burying that person and saying oh like you know they're in the past kind of thing the good thing is that if you ever find yourself hopefully not in a position like that again you know you have it in you to you know just like you and dean were talking about sleeping on the floor and having having paint smells and stuff like even though you wouldn't wouldn't ever want to have put yourself in that position ever again you know that if you have to you can because you've been through it it's so crazy right like i was i actually had this chat with jade yesterday and i was trying to like i was thinking about because we're having you on today and I i was trying to think about my path and how i could sort of relate to you a little bit as well but I think about the person that I was at that time, and I wouldn't want to be around that person. Like I didn't drink, <laughs> yeah, for, for for twelve years. Wow. I didn't drink for for twelve years. I didn't no touch carbs. no carbohydrates. <laughs> I I woke up. I wouldn't every, have wanted to be around. I woke up every morning at, at four. <laughs> I woke up every morning at four thirty a.m. I was just relentless about work. That's all that fucking mattered to me. I'd wake up. I never knew this. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, so I'd, from what age you never drank? From 18 or? Uh, from when I started Vision. I had a bad Christmas party and I drank too much. An initiation party. Honestly, oh, yeah. I got really, really sick. And I didn't touch alcohol for about 10 years. And my whole life was just getting the fuck out of carrying right at the time. Not because I hated it, but just because I wanted to move on. Yeah. And so... Like I think about that person, and I was miserable, man. And I obviously had uh, a girlfriend who became a fiance, who became a wife at that time. And I reflect back on that person. That person established everything that was created from that. But man, he was horrible to be around. 
Like, how could you have fun with that guy? Yeah, no. You he didn't drink. Her. He didn't want to go out. Like, fuck. But you were just so drunk. But would you have ever got the studio if you weren't? Maybe you wouldn't have. I don't know. Like, you, you learn. Know. I think it takes longer. It would. 100% I think you would have got to the same point as well. It just takes longer. Yeah, and it's just a different journey. But yeah. there's all these tracks to these journeys, these studios and people, and not just studios, businesses in general. Like, everyone's got their own path they go down to, to get them there. No one's is this. Well, obviously, there is the same worldwide, but everyone's got their own journey, right? Yours was like very. Yours was you just wanted that business more than you wanted to. Only reason I came to vision. Only reason. There was nothing else there. I've got a question for you, right? Mm -hmm. Because my instincts when you first came in, like I said it earlier, and I'm happy to be wrong, by the way, brother. Yeah. Like congratulations on everything you've done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't think you were gonna make it. Yeah. Okay. I've got some really great stories when when I purchased the business with my friend Paul and I remember vividly him sitting in my car at front of the business and he was very new into vision at that time they just bought it it wasn't actually double bay and he'd worked out a way to burn it down and get away with it and get the insurance money like that's how desperate we were that's how that's how hard times were right? and my and at that time I was like hmm you know what that's a really great so idea how about we try and just make it work this was whenever second we this is your second this, this is one second, second so this will be maybe 2012 2013 yeah, yeah. so i want to ask you was there ever a moment where you were at that point where you got so close to being like i'm not gonna fucking make it uh, when you first bought when you took over cobra yeah i had the um bro you know what it was i grew pretty quickly but it was my actually my first week right so I just bought this thing. What the top trainer had just uh, told me she's going to leave at Christmas, which was two months away. She was a thirty-six hour trainer. She held half the PT hours of the business. I had one trainer quit the first week, and um, I remember I was in the back room. I just received both of them. One was quitting this week. One was quitting in December. So half the when you buy these businesses, you're buying the direct debit income. So half my income is nearly gone overnight, pretty much. And this trainer that was leaving had been there for years. Um, and then the freaking nightlife system carked it. Like I couldn't get the music going. <laughs> I was just stressed. I didn't know what the fuck I was gonna do. And you're about to do it again. And I cried, man. I cried, bro. I said, well, did I do this too quickly? Mm. Like I started self-doubting, you know? Yeah. Marina gave me a mad pep talk. She's like, no, you can do it, la la, you've done it in your thing. And bro, I just needed to get through that. I just needed to have that little cry and that yeah. little sook that first week because bad shit was happening to me. But I told myself, why do you, bad shit's been happening your whole life. You know, you've been putting yourself in a lot of those positions. You put yourself in this one too. Mm. You bought the business. Yeah. Fucking, you decided to go through this shit when you bought it. No one was going to hold your hand and, and it was going to be all roses and you were going to buy buying this multi-million dollar house after a week driving a freaking Range Rover. You're not going to do that. you got to go through the shit. How do you have that perspective, man? Like, something I've, only recently in sort of having how do you have that fucking perspective man bro because i've just been through shit in my life but it was all my own court it was all my own choices so i'm very good at understanding that i'm a dick i can put myself in shit and i can be okay with it mm. because life can be shit up i've been in such shit times in my life like i've been in some horrible places so i know that especially that moment you're talking about there like Oh man, yeah, it was hurting because I was self-doubting myself for a split second. I started to self-doubt myself. I, I, the the most poisonous thing, man, in any any industry, but particularly as a business owner, is self-doubt. Like I remember going through when I'd come back from my overseas stint, and I was actually going through a separation at that point. And because our lives had become so intertwined, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily that that person had an impact 
on on the business side, but your lives are intertwined. Yeah. And I'd relied on that person as a offside as a voice for so long. Man, that soft doubt is fucking crippling. Yeah, but do you think maybe it was like that because in maybe in that where you were with you two in that relationship, she, but she was the one that would always have the higher like you didn't naturally have that self-talk where you just tell yourself fucking shit's going to be sweet and then suddenly that voice wasn't there to back it up and then you had to find it yourself. You had to tell yourself that you'll be okay. It's 100%. It's not necessarily that I need someone to be okay but because like, you know, you know, it's like being in any kind of relationship particularly in marriage but that person, like, you run everything by. Yeah. So when that person's all of a sudden gone and I'd been with that person for 12 years, like my whole adult life pretty much at that point. Change. It was really, really hard and, and self-doubt's super crippling. So how did you overcome that moment of, of self-doubt? Like, I know you say like, yeah, I've, I've done this to myself, but what, what changed for you to get past that self-doubt, man? Bro, to be honest, I just had to, what, cho- what choice do you have? The self-doubt was only, that self-doubt existed for one minute. Really? One minute. Holy shit. That self-doubt was there for a minute. The minute that I cried. The minute my last tear came out, the self-doubt was gone, bro. I, I stopped I, it was had left I just needed to get that little cry out and then I was fine bro if you if you doubt yourself if you won't back yourself then no one's gonna back you look I think you watch UFC right yeah so let me tell you I heard um, I heard Joseph Benavides talk right mm-hmm. about Henry Cejudo yeah so he fought Cejudo early he beat Cejudo yeah. I'm pretty sure he beat Cejudo right this was like for people that don't know I mean this guy like big UFC fans if there's some UFC fans listening you'll know right so Cejudo has become, he became a two-division champ. He actually just retired on the weekend at the ultimate top of his game. Gold medal in the Olympics for wrestling. Won the, one, won the double champ, won the 125 division in the UFC. Moved up to the 135, won that championship as well. Benavides had beat him many years earlier, right? And they actually asked Benavides before his last fight, they said, what's the difference now between, um, the if you were to fight Cejudo again now, What's the difference between the Cejudo you fought five years, six years ago and beat and the Cejudo you'd have to fight tomorrow, right? He said the only difference is he wears a gold, uh, two belts around his neck to go with the two medal and the confidence that that brings you makes you a champion and he doesn't wow. think he can lose. And I was like, fuck, that's so true because I, I, when I went through that moment of self-doubt, I just reflected on how to even be sitting in my own business from where I was Six years ago, you I should not be sitting there. I should not be sitting there calling myself a business owner with the opportunity to grow a business, develop people. I should be a drug addict. I should be back, locked back up. I should, or I should be a loser on the dog. That's you never should have made that first interview. Yeah, <laughs> I should, should yeah. never made the first interview, brother. Yeah. So that minute where I cried and where I was down, all I had to do was think about why I should never be here. I'm so blessed to even be here. So fuck it, you've overcome way worse than this. Get back on the horse and let's go because you can do this. And I think we should probably end with that. But one thing I'll add for you, man, is that when I look at your team and your trainers, they they embody that a thousand percent, man. So you got your little Charlotte and I think she's going to be exactly the same, man. So I'm i got to be very, from the heart, man, I'm very genuinely excited to see what you do. I always, always love hearing you and seeing you. And, um, man, you're a fucking big well done. Thanks for having me, brother. Thanks for being here, man. No drama, man. Enjoy. Uh, au revoir, stay safe and stay sharp.